The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 170 for Monday, September 29th, 2008. Greetings, everyone, on this wonderful Monday. Uh, it's the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab. Hi, John. I'm Dave. How are you? Hi, Dave. I'm John. How are you? <laughs> I'm great. Other than, you know, we won't talk about the financial markets. We're here to talk about all <laughs> things Mac and uh, and all things Mac we do. In fact, let's let's dive right into the show here, John, and uh, and and listen with great attention to what Kevin has to say. Hey, Mac Geeks, it's Kevin here. I am a longtime listener of the show. I love the show. Never miss an episode. I have a question about last week you were talking about DVDs and CDs only lasting five years, or potentially so, um, and I have a lot of f- critical files that uh, I'm, I work in audio production and that I've done for clients and so on that I only keep on DVDs. I have always three copies, but nonetheless, only on DVD. So I'm wondering what you recommend. Uh, I know that hard drives are cheap these days, so possibly more hard drive space. And my se- the second part of my question is, what happens when you're moving files all over the place, CDs to hard drives, hard drives back burning to, to disk and so on? What uh, What's the chances of files becoming corrupt? Uh, you know, so I guess the question is, what's the best way when you record a file to keep that file completely original with, with no changes? Or also, is there any software that you might recommend that can check file comparisons to make sure that they're absolutely the same and that nothing is changing. Okay. That's, uh, that's it. And, uh, again, I love the show. Keep up the good work. Thanks. All right. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, and I uh, appreciate you asking. There were actually many of you who asked some via Twitter, some, uh, here, some elsewhere. Uh, John, what do you, uh, what are your thoughts on this? <laughs> First, I still like Twitter. It's fun. <laughs> okay. Hi uh, followers. Anyways. Just- um, in my humble opinion, um, neither CDs, CDs <laughs> or DVDs, I don't really think are, I, I don't know if I'd count on them alone for backing up things, especially long term. In fact, I, I don't know. I'll, well, I don't want to say too strongly. Well, no, I will. I, I don't, I, I think uh, the best backup uh, media at this point in time with current technology is a hard drive. Um, they're cheap. They're fast. Um, I don't think they are when treated well and stored properly is prone to problems as optical media, which I think uh, you and I, after doing extensive research, Dave, we found that, um, well, it's kind of surprising because when the stuff first came out, you would think, well, you know, this is cool and they use lasers and stuff. So, you know, how could it possibly degrade? I mean, you just burn the data on there or stamp it on there, depending on the, you know, the technology and it lasts forever. But, but as, as we found, that's not the case. So maybe you can. Uh, yeah. It, it's actually important to note though. Uh, we were wrong. Uh, we, we've said a couple of times that you've got five to 10 years. No one really knows, uh, though. I guess there are some CDs that might be, you know, pushing the 20 year mark, I think, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, some of the first ones, uh, CDRs rather. Uh, but we were wrong. Well, we I don't know about we I, I think. Well, <laughs> we take this together here, brother. Uh, oh, okay. it's, it's the royal we. So. Uh, what from everything I've found and the, and and I think John you you sort of found the same thing Re- once a media CDs CDRs and DVDRs which are write once read many uh tend to last once they've been burned tend to last somewhere between 30 and even upwards of 200 years. Now this is based on yes. accelerated aging tests and things that aren't real world scenarios because we don't have real world scenarios for this yet, but you know, properly stored and yet still aged. And th- that's what yes. you're going to get. And I was so, going to say, we don't yet though. I'm looking, I'm thinking to the people who are in the future that are listening to this. Now they will just chuckle because they're going to chuckle at the fact we don't have time acceleration technology or, or time Right. That's right. You know, the thing is, though, John, everybody listens to this in the future. <laughs> but I'm also thinking is that the media that this is being stored on will eventually degrade. And 
huh, so we better work on, you know, a good backup strategy for the show. That's so right. People can hear it. But but yeah, so th- it's interesting, though, because that five to 10 year figure wasn't pulled from thin air. In fact, it is pretty much agreed upon that an unrecorded CDR or DVDR has about a sh- has a shelf life of somewhere between five and 10 years. If you don't write to it in that period of time, it will go bad and you will not be able to write anything to it. And that's that's just the nature of of the media. So uh, but but typically you've got, you know, 30, at least 30 years based on all the tests that they've done and potentially up to 200 with some caveats, right, John? I mean, they're, they're, yeah. Yeah. Um, so like you said, you said shelf life. Yes. Yes. Um, the one thing I would just, just, you know, to pop back and forth here, uh, where's the shelf I think is important. And what I'm saying <laughs> yep. is storage environment. So temperature, humidity, this is important for, well, other things, uh, that are more fragile, like paper or books or something like that. But even media, if it's too hot or too cold or the humidity's wrong, It'll degrade quicker. Um, I would say that's one aspect of it. So, you know, make note of the environmental, you know, maybe get a special room that's air conditioned or temperature controlled. Um, I guess another thing I'll just shout it out. Don't touch it. Yeah. (laughs) I think the worst, worst thing that can happen. uh, I've seen automated systems, you know, robotic systems that uh, will will handle the media because uh, to me, the biggest risk is that you know, somebody paused the media and their pans have something on it, oily or whatever. And, or they, they drop it or put it on top of something, which we all do. I know right. <laughs> but we shouldn't right. put it on a tabletop or something. And, and, and I think by nature, the discs are designed. So if you have, you know, little random scratches, you're, you're okay because they do have error correction um, to a certain degree, unless you get a circular scratch, in which case you're, you're blasting a whole area. And I had that happen recently. Let, let's so, let's um, talk about that because uh, you know, why would a scratch in one direction be not so bad and yet a scratch in another direction be horrible? Let, let, wh- well, you know, I'm going to take a guess that the data is written circularly okay. on the disk, in which case, if you're writing out redundant data, the likelihood of hitting it if you go you know, perpendicular to it versus... Because uh, I think the nature of most scratches is kind of in a random direction. They're never quite circular, which follows the pattern that drive the drive reads and writes. Sure. OK. okay. Kind of like an old record player if it, to, to oversimplify this for, for those of you um, who know what that is. You're yeah. <laughs> vinyl, um, vinyl, 3.3 RPMs or 45 or 78. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Um, but anyways, no, actually, you make a very, very good comparison that 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 is perfect. If you get a scratch in a groove, you're not going to hear a part of the music. Right. So, um, and I have seen it at some of the shows. We'll, we'll try to find a few, but there are vendors that make systems, or and they handle other things, tape cartridges and all that. But um, all right, I don't so, know. So you, on. you said okay. So we 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 pretty much I think shared what we know here. As always, if there's uh, any of you out there that have more to share, please send it in. You know, we're we're happy to uh, to share all that stuff. I want to go back to your your first statement here, though, John, you prefer a hard drive to a CD. Now, we know that CDs, let's take at face value these reports that say the CD is going to last minimum 30, you know, potentially hundreds of years. It seems to me that if you are storing the CD and the, the hard drive well, you're better off with the CD. And here's why the CD can be put in any drive. It doesn't have to be put in a in a mechanism that was built a hundred years ago, right? It it can be put in a mecha- mechanism that was built today. Yep, so I see where you're going. Okay, so the hard drive, you know, yes, you can take the platters out and put them in a new mechanism, but that is not a task for anyone oh, to no, do at home, no. right? I mean, that that's clean room stuff. We, we've all heard of Total and, Recall and Drive Savers. So, it, you know, I I'm not sure I would recommend a disc because there's so much more that can go wrong. That you have no in individual control over, and and that's where I'll leave it. That said, you're not your data is probably safer on the platters of the hard drive than it is on the CD. However, uh, it, you know because you because you can't get at those platters and you can't scratch them or anything, you probably the data will probably just be fine. Uh, however, I, I don't know. I the, you know hard drive platters are 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 bound to fail eventually. Oh so. sure. You know, yeah. oh, it's a mechanical device. Something yeah. something will fail. Yeah. But, um, but no. 
So you're I right. Now you there. you also talk about uh, and actually I think uh, or, or I, what you were hinting at or well I'll, I'll uh, just clarify say. interface interface yeah. uh, rot not not necessarily interface rot but I have some old SCSI drives now what you do in that case of course is you get an adapter like newer and and other people make that are you know will understand um multiple interfaces right older interfaces or get a pci card assuming pci lasts you know oh, right right <laughs> yeah yeah sure um so you know tr- try to um i mean now I don't, I don't think it's hard to even now if uh, you know to get a scuzzy interface you hit ebay or something like that or there are people that sell old stuff but yeah think about uh, so i think your point is valid because i think the the cd formats are relatively longer lived than the latest interface of the day like sata is only a couple of years old and then before that was what do you think a- ata and then all that yeah no i agree yeah absolutely all right uh but they're slow up uh, that's the only thing i'll say that's right and we'll talk about that speed later. a hard right. drive is yeah i think always going to win over mm. um cd or dvd oh yeah without question yeah 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 i uh, all right we've got a jillion more questions to get to and uh, let's do one. Let, let's go to uh, let's go to Andrea here and see what uh, see what she has to say. Hi, <clears throat> sorry. Hi guys, it's Andrea and Houston. And I had a question. I don't know if this is kosher or not, but I we have uh, our iPhones that have pictures on them that were recently destroyed in a crashed hard drive. And I was wondering if there was any way to get around the copyright protection law in the iPhone that says that you can't upload something from your phone back to your computer if not on your computer because, of course, we have a new hard drive now, so it doesn't uh, doesn't recognize the pictures. Uh, on our phones as being our property, but of course they are, and we'd love to get them, even if they're going to be a much smaller size than we originally took them in. So I was wondering if there was any kind of cheat that you knew of that we could get around that uh, to get our pictures back onto some computer, any computer. Uh, you can email me. No, we'll, uh, we'll do this here. Okay, so, yeah. it No. Apple's can I ask a question. Yeah, go ahead. I, I don't have a, a phone here. Are they somehow DRMing? Am I misunderstanding this? That there's like no some protection. It, just like think of it like an iPod with your music, mm-hmm. right? You can sync music to an iPod, but if you hand me your iPod, I can't with any of Apple's tools get the music off of your iPod onto my computer. Okay. I see. So uh, okay, so so it is kind of a association or. or pairing or whatever okay. yeah yeah it's a pairing it's a it's a one-way sync kind of uh now obviously when you sync your iphone or your ipod back to your computer it does send data back uh if you took pictures with your iphone it'll send that back it'll send back when a song was played and if it's part of a smart playlist now and so there, there's a two-way sync but uh you can't just slurp data off of it and i i i speculate that apple did this simply to appease the record labels and get them to agree to this whole brave new world that uh, that we all live in. That said, uh, it's ridiculous that people like Andrea can't pull their pictures off of the phone. So uh, there are a couple of solutions. One is a phone view from a, a former sponsor of the show, Ecamm Networks uh, at Ecamm with two M's, E-C-A-M-M dot com. And uh, it's called phone view and it will do uh all that you're looking for and more. So I think that's one thing to check. And then another one is called phone link from Nova media and that's novamedia.de. So uh, that's the, uh, that that's that. So uh, I, th- I think, I think one of those two will do it. I think you're going to have to pay a couple of bucks, probably 15 bucks, 20 bucks or something for uh, an unlocked version of this software. I, I think you can go get a demo, but if you want to pull significant quantities of data off, you're going to need to pay something, but Probably worth it mm. in, uh, in this situation. And that, th- those, those two pieces of software can actually be handy for iPhone owners in general. So worth checking out. Hmm. Uh, speaking of sponsors, our sponsor for this week's show is Audio Engine USA at AudioEngineUSA.com. And uh, we'll talk about the A2 speakers. You know, the, the economy is, uh, well, it's on the ropes. Let's just say that, right, John? Uh, it's, it's sound. It, okay, uh, I'm not sure what sound it's making, but uh, it's not necessarily a good one. Uh, 
that said, you want to make sure you get the most bang for your buck. And I have to say, these Audio Engine A2 speakers are absolutely fantastic. They're two hundred bucks, one hundred and ninety nine dollars US. Uh, desk, true desktop speakers. Uh, I think they're maybe about uh, you know four inches tall by three inches wide, about three inches deep. Two separate speakers, and these things pack a punch. I have a pair of them in the house uh, on the computer that we kind of have in our our study, if you will, and. Uh, if I turn these things on, we get music where we eat, uh, you know, our, our dinner and in the kitchen and everything. And it really, I mean, they've got a f- nice full sound. It, it, it really is quite something. So uh, I, it's, they're not the kind of thing that I would hook up to your stereo, but certainly hooking them up to your computer and having them play music in your office or, uh, you know, even in a section of your home. The Audio Engine A2 speakers at AudioEngineUSA.com, $199. And uh, go check them out. And if you do buy them from them, make sure you uh, thank them for being a sponsor of our show because uh, we appreciate them being a sponsor and we hope you appreciate hearing about it. Moving on to Peter, John, old Peter. I don't know if he's old. John and Dave, Peter from Syracuse. Just listening to Mac Geekab 168. I need to correct you guys. I have an old Firewire uh, iPod charger from an iPod mini that I bought a long, long time ago. Not only does it charge the Mini, it charges a second-generation Nano, it charges my iPhone, and it charges my video edition of the iPod. All of them work great, charges them way faster than the USB does, and there are no problems. Maybe when you said that it wouldn't charge via FireWire, you were talking about when you plug it into your computer, but as far as the adapter goes, it works on every one of the iPods that I have, including my first-generation iPhone. Just, uh... Giving you that info. Uh, love the show. See you later. All right, thanks, Peter. Uh, John, you you had you had something to chime in on here before I start rambling, right? <laughs> well, all I got to say is that I have a what we'll call the uh, now. Which generation do I do I have here? The fatty. Yeah, that'd be the third or yeah, last year's nano. Yeah, and that yeah. um, it it charged on firewire on my g5 uh, i didn't try it on the on the macbook but i suppose the same thing would happen but it didn't see it as a device so at least that revision i can verify on my computer with either the cable or the dock it it would charge okay okay so th- so this is interesting so i've got uh, a firewire uh, charger over at the house and i tried using it with an ipod that uh, i have in my daughter's room which is an ipod with video like like Peter mentioned, and you can plug it in, but it will not charge with this thing. Now, my wife's first gen iPhone, which is newer than that iPod with video, of course, uh, charges with it. No problem. If I plug it into my iPhone, which is a 3G iPhone, so second generation iPhone, it actually says right on the screen. Charging is not supported with this accessory. And, uh, you know, you need to find some other way to charge your phone. So. Uh, clearly they have they've been migrating away from firewire and now the new generation of iPods that uh, that kind of just came out as well as of course the uh, the iPhone 3G specifically don't let you charge with this now there is and I'm getting ahead of myself here because I don't have the link in front of me but there is a uh, a, a little adapter that someone's making and I'm trying to uh, to find it here while we're typing. And essentially what this adapter does is takes the FireWire signal, reroutes it somehow to uh, to make it work on USB. And it's available at CableJive.com, C-A-B-L-E-J-I-V-E. I have not tested this, so I can't, you know, I can't speak for it. But huh. I, uh, So yeah. I wonder if it's just rerouting is that, you know, one connector uses power on some pins and another uses them on another. But the I'd have to get is- the specs for the... Yeah, USB uses less power than FireWire, right? I mean, Peter right. said that it, you know, fire, on FireWire it charges faster, so I'd be a little concerned about this. I would hope that mm-hmm. the cable drive mm-hmm. people have addressed this. But I, I don't know. Uh, so yeah, or it'll just get real warm, you know. <laughs> yeah, you try that with your stuff in your house, and then. Oh, well, I have. I've had many Macs, especially portable Macs, and I know that they like to use the thermal properties of metal yeah to uh dissipate heat sometimes yes they <laughs> Much do to the discomfort of some users <laughs> so that's what i'm saying but, but building in i mean i notice you know just uh yeah mini tangent a lot of apple stuff gets really hot but it's 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 a tactic for 
eliminating lots of fans and stuff like that. Usually, that's right. Saves it actually saves battery life because you're not running fans uh, when you're using the actual computer itself as it as a heat sink or heat dissipation device. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, so uh, so we got Jim. Jim, I think. I think we got time for Jim, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Okay, so Jim writes. I'm going to sell a PowerBook when the new MacBooks are out. How should I sanitize my PowerBook? Is there any solution you have confidence in for removing personal data and accounts without removing the system and applications? Unfortunately, I have leopard from an affiliation academic install, but no access to reinstallation. Now, what about wiping all the free space? I recovered a drive a year ago and was amazed at how many copies of stuff were found outside of the file system. All right. So that's that's like two questions. John, go. I'm going to say because I just sold the machine. My honest advice, though, it sounds like a cop out, but uh, well, I'll I'll give my my off the cuff answer would be just wipe the machine. Yeah, just wipe it. Wipe it. Do a secure erase, which is what I did. Reinstall the new OS. Well, um, see, he do- he doesn't have a Leopard OS, but it, even uh, at that point, I would you know, and and I realize this is a t- this is not answering his question yet, and we will get there. Mm-hmm. But you know. I, I like to when I sell a machine, I like to sell it with system disks. So I put whatever the OS was that came with oh, the yeah. machine on it, fresh install, close the lid, shut it down and ship it off. Oh Yeah, that's what I did. I made sure it went to the welcome to Mac screen, right? Which it plays continuously until you configure it. Mm-hmm. And I was like, OK, that I'm given an out of the box experience. Right. Right. Um, otherwise, I mean, I suppose you could, you know, go to the documents folder, trash everything in there. There's, you know, library preferences, right? Well, you could, yeah, you could delete you could the try user to, accounts. You know, you could create a new yeah, user okay. account, right? And delete the old ones. So that's going to get rid of most of your data. Um, yeah. There'll but, still be little dribbles left over. Though, yeah, but you know. when you delete a user account, it offers to save all the data. You want to choose no. Yeah, yeah. And then you want to go into uh, the slash users directory. So hard drive slash users and make sure there's nothing left in there. Sometimes it'll leave like a, a directory or a disk image from an old user. Make sure you get rid of that stuff. Um, but yeah, there, you know, there, there's there's no foolproof way of making sure it's a clean system because it's not a clean system, right? I mean, it. That, I mean, I would, and I think what I did, uh, yeah, the, there are different secure erases. There's a, you know, once, so there's one where it doesn't erase anything in the free space. There's another where it pretty much does. Um, right. There are other erases that will, um, or formats. If you're, you know, starting well, fresh. Not, yeah, let's just, let's assume he's not reformatting. So we want to do a secure erase. I, I think. Um, I think mm-hmm. I think ProSoft's disk um, drive genius doesn't drive genius doesn't that have a secure erase in it? I'm pretty sure it does. Uh, sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, it does. We'll it has a it secure. Up. It definitely does. It has a secure erase. Yeah. 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 Uh, so that that's one way of making sure you wipe out the, the free space while you're not. OK, out. but I see this, too. So this utility has a race free space. Zero out deleted files, seven pass and thirty five. Oh, pass. Oh, OK. OK. Thirty five pass takes. Yeah, it'll tell you. And when you see the I mean, number so, of hours or days, it'll take. You'll probably settle so disk for utility. Forgive me for being naive here. Disk utility uh-huh. has a way of erasing, securely erasing, and by securely erasing, Chris, we mean overriding the sectors. Uh, securely erasing only the free space on a drive. Is that right? Yes. Oh, look at that! It does. It has a little erase free Disk space utility. Button. Yeah. And then the oh, you know, I thought I'd mention that. That's an ellipsis, right? What's this? Uh, hello. Hello. Dot dot dot. Yes, ellipses. Correct. Or ellipses, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, you're what right. What that means, I, I I was gonna mention this at one point when we were talking about menu commands and all that, but but that means another dialogue is coming. Don't panic. Right. Because you may see that button and be kind of nervous about clicking on it. Cause it says erase free space, but the right. dots are to put you at ease. Just in case you ever wondered why you saw those here and there. Again, it's oh, one of those things it's that you I thing. Yes, it is. Oh Yeah, whenever you see like yeah. Hey, Anywhere, that's good to know. any menu, you see three dots. That means another dialogue is coming. So, whereas if you don't, it's typically an immediate action. Interesting. So, if I click erase free space on my drive, which I'm not going to do now because we're recording the well, show, you can do it. I Trust just, me. I really have no interest. Trust in it. Okay, fine, folks. If it jitters and pops and uh, I, 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 no, just kidding. Stop. <laughs> uh, yeah, there it is. So you click erase free space, and then it, it gives you the options. So there you go. 
I, I was satisfied with zero out. Yeah. So unless you have a determined foe, that should be enough to keep. Yeah, there you yeah. go. Yep. All right, cool. Uh, now, you know, I want to toss this in here very quick. The, the, the question before about DVDs, there there was a follow-up, I think, how to... Um, so just to mention it, there was a follow-up in a, in a sense of, you know, how do I make sure my data is okay? And now we did talk about error correction, but I would also yeah. say if, if you're ever going to write something out, especially the optical media... You may want to do the verify option mm-hmm. just for fun. A lot of recording programs or even the Apple programs, I think, buried somewhere is, a, is an option to verify the right. Or sometimes you can cancel out of it. But if you're really concerned about the quality of the data, then, you know, run a verify step. Yeah, the verify step usually goes pretty quickly. I just burned. Uh, and this is actually something I wanted to mention. I've, I've now got uh, a Leopard server machine running downstairs here. Um the sort of a result end result of the lightning strike and some necessary upgrades we needed to do. But uh, the FileMaker server is now running on a, a dual G4 that's running leopard uh, server. And I needed to burn a disk image of leopard leopard server uh, to, you know, install on this machine. And I did that with a crummy Plaxo DVD uh, dual layer because it has to be dual layer because the, D- the DVD is so big. So I downloaded the thing from uh, developer relations and, you know, did my thing and it said verification went fine and I went to install it and the, it wouldn't install. And then I had to do it again to a Memorex DVD dual layer that I should have used in the first place and it worked just fine. So uh, two lessons learned one verify and then verify again. And two don't use crummy media. It's just not worth it. Waste it wastes your time and annoys the pig. <laughs> you mean cheap? Okay, yeah, right. Cheap. Hmm. So that Plaxo media, cheap and worth it. If you only want your stuff to, I mean, actually, if you want your stuff to kind of disappear over yeah, time, that's you know, right. <laughs> you're in the middle of a, you know, spy adventure or something. Yeah, then by all means. Yeah, that's right. It's like this data will self destruct in about a week. <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> Michael, save us. Hey, John and Dave. It's Michael in New York City. I called you some months ago, and you uh, talked me through setting up an iDisk so that I could match files between two computers, and it has it has changed my life. I feel complete now. It's a beautiful thing. I've got another question for you. Um, I have a MacBook running 10.5.5, and it has sort of stopped shutting down. Um, if I run, actually, that's not exactly right. If I run it for a while, if it's been up for a couple of days and I'm doing various things on it and I decide, oh, I should probably restart, or if I shut it down to uh, take it someplace, it, uh, I, I choose shut down or restart. Uh, the screen, um, all the files go away, but it stays with my uh, desktop picture. And then just below center of the screen is a little um, circling doodad, uh, looks like a, a little cog that's going wheelie around and round and round and round, and it never gets past that. I, I think it normally does that, but then usually then it continues to shut down or restart, but it just sits there, and I'm, I'm actually staring at it right now, and it's been doing it for, uh, oh, about 45 minutes. Um, now this has happened to me before, so I eventually I just I press the power button and shut it down, and then press the power button again and it restarts. Now, if right after I restart this, which I'm going to do here presently, um, if I then do a regular restart, it'll restart fine. It'll shut down and restart. So um, I'm wondering what's going on. Why won't it shut down or restart if it's been up and running for a while? But it will shut down or restart if, uh, if it hasn't been running for a while. I'm suspecting that it's, it's some program or something. The one thing that I haven't done that I suspect you may tell me to do is um, uh, reinstall the, the software. I dread the thought of that. But if that's the only thing that's that's left to do, and I don't know that it has caused any problems, I just am concerned. I don't want to be um, pressing the power button to shut down the computer or restart it. So I was wondering if uh, you had any thoughts on what might be going on. Uh, everything else seems to be running fine, and when I restart it, it seems to run fine, but it doesn't seem like a good thing to do. Um, if you need my email... No, we don't. <laughs> so... Um... 
You know, I'd start off here with some simple things. It, it almost sounds to me like so. So it is getting to the spinning cursor, I guess, right? Yeah, yeah. So that's well, a good yeah, they, sign. They, yeah, it goes, all the apps shut down, the finder goes away, he gets to whatever his background is, and then there's that little thing kind of, you know, just above the bottom middle of his screen, the, yeah. the gear that goes, yeah. I'm going to guess, try the permissions, check the console. Um, always a good kind of... <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Yeah, if you start up, if you hit command V, as in uh, verbose, when the system starts up, instead of seeing the pretty Mac screen, you see all this Unix gobbledygook that just pours down the screen. The cool thing is, and it really helped. I didn't think about this yet is when you shut down, it goes back to the gobbledygook at that point. So you might, you you get the console right on the screen and there might be something there that tells you at least what it's doing when it's just hanging there. So that, Hmm. yeah, Yeah, that's interesting. Good one. Two minds. We've melded. (laughs) Uh, yeah, so there's that, uh, you know, my guess is because John, because it's, you know, going so long, I think it's virtual memory swap files, uh, because one of the things it does, one of the very last things it does is cleans those out and it's possibly it's got one that's corrupted and, and our favorite, uh, command line or single user mode utility, Applejack would be the solution there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause it'll let us clean out the, uh, the swap files. So yep. anything else that we have nope. for uh, Michael? No. Uh, okay. We've got a couple of geeky questions and I'm going to say something really geeky. So while Michael was, uh, uh, while we were listening to Michael's question, I had to uh, Skype John something and I put a typo. I, I, I typed the word need instead of needed. And so I did what I often do, uh, you know, being a, a longtime Unix geek, geek, I used the, the command said S E D. Uh, which is like a, a, a text editor and in said, and in many text editors, you can type S slash and then the text that you type. So in this case, need slash, and then the text you want to replace it with. So in this case needed. So I typed S slash need slash needed slash, and I hit enter. And I just assume that John being a Unix geek, he would see that and realize what I meant to say. But in mm-hmm. Skype, what happened was it actually went up to my previous IM and edited it right there in line. So it's just, it's just so cool. I, I, I just had to, uh, I, I stumbled on it here and I had to, I'd seen it before, but I had to say it. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Uh, yep. Jed, right? Time Jed. for Jed. 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 Hey guys, uh, this is Jed. I was just listening to the most recent podcast. Uh, I forget what number it was. And uh, you said something interesting that I didn't know, which is that, Gigabit Ethernet is faster than Firewire. And I guess I was questioning that, like in terms of is it faster like USB 2 is faster, where it's not continuous faster, or would it be better to have a network instead of having a one gig media, one gig drive, let's, uh, one terabit drive, sorry, um, where you had all your music and movies and whatever, on a Firewire, would it be better to have it to a gigabit Ethernet drive, a la the time machine? Um, just kind of curious. Uh, I don't want to copy all my media and do a test with both, so I was hoping maybe you could, you know, give me an answer before uh, thinking about that. Thanks. If you need to reach me. Your thoughts, John? Um, my thoughts are yes, gigabit Ethernet is fastest. So if we, you know, put together a little list, which, oh, look, I have one here of <laughs> the speeds handy. and the throughput. So gigabit Ethernet is, you know, 1,000 megabits or 1024, right? You yes, it would, that would be 1020, not just 1,000. And then FireWire is 800, USB 2 is about 480, I think, and FireWire 400, 400. So that can right. boil down to, I think, tens of megabytes per second. Correct. Now, the thing is, most drives, like I think right now, the state of the art is in the, you know, 30 maybe megabytes a second from the drive to the interface electronics or from the platter to the interface electronics. Right. In general, I, I've seen some benchmarks, you know, so don't hold well, me. And, and, but and I think to, that's the ballpark of, of what I've seen or at least right. observed on some of my machines. For a single drive. Yes, that I've seen network throughputs of around that rate over gigabit Ethernet. Because what, that's what not the constraining factor. You know, about 30 megabytes a second. Yeah, that's what I've seen. When, when I read data from my time capsule. Uh, and even if I'm writing just a big chunk of data to my time capsule, 
I see about uh, about that. Sometimes it, you know, it inches above 30, but really, you know, that 25 to 30 is the best I see. And then, of course, when it's writing small files, it's it's less than 10 even. So um, not not really. It, yeah. The But if you had a RAID array that was built, uh, that was striped, mm-hmm. so you had multiple drives, you know, spinning at once, then yep, yep. maybe you could t- you could start talking about moving a serious amount of data. And that's when gigabit Ethernet might kick oh, okay. in. OK. If they're multiplexed into right. the... Okay, right. gotcha. That, right. That's a good point. Well, actually, I think that's where... Is it striping? Yeah, yeah. Striping, yeah you'd stripe right? it. Yeah. 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 So then that could double in th- if all the hardware kind of understands how to talk to multiple drives properly. Sure, yeah. You'd want a, cool. a good hardware RAID controller. But yeah, for, for you and I, I don't think... I really don't think, you know, yeah, maybe FireWire 400, maybe see some limitations, but then USB... Two would also see those same limitations because it's burstable versus a streamlined connection with 400. Um, mm. But uh, yeah, gigabit Ethernet's handy. It costs more, though, because you're putting a network interface into the the hard drive. And now you've got to deal with assigning IP addresses and all that stuff. So there is an inherent and cost there. providing power. Ah, yes, that's right. Well, we do have power over Ethernet. And, you know, sometimes I have that I was here. thinking about that today, but I don't think that... Yeah, well, you have it <laughs> when you don't want it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, but no, I yeah, I have seen, like, some Cisco equipment will... But but I don't think it's... I think it's kind of standard, but, you know, I've seen always see warnings on the cable saying, you know, don't use this for anything else. <laughs> All right, I, you know, uh, I, I know I'm doing this tonight. Again, you, you mentioned you, that that I had you, power coming into the house, and I'm not going to go into the whole lightning strike thing. It, other than to say, uh, you know, my power company, if if lightning hits and somehow I get a bo- a burst of power coming in over my power lines, right, mm-hmm. uh, which doesn't often happen, but I think it did this last time. I believe that my electric company charged me for that power because it came in over the power lines. Now, here's the thing. And we, we clearly know that it didn't. So I, I think uh, I need to call the power company and uh, have a talk with them because I don't think they fully understand the, uh, what the, the Heisen Heisenberg's uncertainty principle, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which, which says that we can either know the location of an electron or the direction in which it is traveling, but we cannot know both at the same time. So they are making a huge assumption that the power from their plant is coming to my house. Uh, and, and they just, there's no way to prove this, right? I think it's coming in from somewhere in the middle and clearly when lightning strikes, it is. And I, I think, so I, I think maybe I should call them up and tell them to just stop sending those bills. There's a there's a lesson about Schrodinger's cat in here that I, I'm just not going to go. I'm just not going to go down that path. Uh, we'll just say he's mostly dead. Uh, you thought I didn't know any of this, you know, no, mumbo I, jumbo I knew, that you speak I knew, of. Actually, I knew, I'm, you know. I'm surprised you, you retained that from uh, schooling. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That yeah. You know direction, but rotate. Yeah, by observing a problem, you 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 affect it. Mm-hmm. I think they just should come because, yeah, I mean, what if I, I, it's one of two things. Either they stop sending me the bills because they can't prove that the electricity comes in over or they cover any problems with their electricity. If they're going to say that 100 percent of the electricity that comes in through there is from them, then they're responsible for whatever that electricity does to the uh, stuff in my house. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And I, I don't think Schrodinger's cat is mostly dead. I think it is non-existent until you open that box. But we're well, just no, actually, it's both dead and alive, right? No, I, I think his he 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 uh, he posited that the cat did not exist until you opened the box, and then it was either a dead cat or a live cat. But until you opened it, it did not exist. And holy moly, we've gone down a very strange path here. And I know I'm driving the bus, but it's okay. And the light in the refrigerator is always on. <laughs> I, I posit that the light does not exist until you open the refrigerator, and neither does any of the food inside. Okay. Our physics friends will get a chuckle, maybe. <laughs> yes, probably I, not. Go. Probably yell at us. Uh, Devin, how come I can't find Devin's question here? If I can't find Devin's question, then I can't read it. Oh, there it is. Okay. Devin asks, is there a reason that syslog D which is a process that he's seeing inactivity monitor is taking up 95% of my CPU. And can I kill it safely? My computer seems to be running slowly. Okay. 
You want to take this one, John, or should I? Mm. Is it is it safe to let me take anything at this point? Other um, than maybe my, you know, my, my go. Meds? I think I think we got to snap you back into reality. Okay, so. good. So yeah, I've seen this many times on on multiple machines, and and so have many others. There's lots of reports out there. So uh, what Syslog does is Syslog is and it is, it is inherited from Unix. It's a utility that's out there running and logging all of the various things that happen on your Mac. So when you look into the system log, you see something created by syslog. If you look into crash log, I believe well, that might've been crash logger, but I think it talks through system log system log is kind of the place where all that stuff funnels through and it creates all these logs, the mail logs and this, that, and the other thing there is a, in, in leopard, what they did was they consolidated a lot of this together into a database and that database is in slash var slash log slash ASL dot DB. And there's something wrong in Leopard uh, that causes Syslog to freak out and start overpopulating ASL DB. Now, whether it's creating an index because it's a database and it's doing something wrong, who knows? But this happens. Now, many people uh, have have theorized that it's time machine that's doing this. Uh, some people think it's back to my Mac. I saw it just last night when I was doing a Microsoft office 2008 update on the iMac at the house. Hmm. So yeah, so it, it's, it's not any, I don't think it's any one thing. Uh, there, yeah, it, we found some uh, reports. Like I saw some time machine reports mm-hmm. saying it's definitely time machine. I quit time machine. And then all of a sudden everything was great. Yeah. I think whatever process is is again, syslog in and of itself doesn't really do anything. It just takes data from other processes and dumps it out. Uh, so, yeah, I think Time Machine might be doing Ooh, something. What if it's buggy? Huh. Yeah, I think it is. I think, well, it, this, this didn't start until Leopard when they did this whole ASL.DB thing, which kind of pulls it all together. We said we get geeky here, folks. folks I can't. Uh, uh, so, yeah, but, but there is a way to fix it. So what you do is you go into the terminal and you type uh, CD space slash var slash log. And hit enter, and that'll get you to where the log files are. And then you do three steps. One, you shut down syslog. Two, you remove the asl.db file. And then three, you start syslog back. And uh, I'll, I'll say these commands, and then we'll link to an article that, that has them. Sudo, S-U-D-O space, launch control, which is L-A-U-N-C-H-C-T-L. So sudo space, launch CTL space, stop space, com.apple.syslogd. That's the first command. Then sudo space rm for remove space slash var slash log slash asl.db. We want to remove that file. And then again, we issue the same command that we did it up front, but instead of stop, we say start. So it's sudo space launch ctl space start space com.apple.syslogd. That should delete the file. And usually that fixes it, which which is what leads me to believe that it's something with database corruption or, or you know, something in that ASL.db that, that freaks out syslog when it's getting too much data pumped at it at once. Mm-hmm. That's my uh, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Should we move on here, John? We've got we've got some uh, onward. Uh, yeah. All right. So Mort has a question and we have answers. Hi, this is Mort, M-O-R-T. In uh, Texas, I uh, want to talk about sh- show notes. You never say where they're at, and I found them at MacObserver.com, uh, but I had to do a slash podcast in order to find them. And then I found your shows listed, and by clicking on a specific show, I was able to find the show notes. But one thing I didn't find was chapters, and I'm looking. what I'm looking for is a compilation of all the items you talk about, and I was thinking maybe getting a listing of chapters, uh, chapter items, I should say, uh, would give me a uh, a list of some sort of the things that you talk about in your various uh, Mac Observer, Geek, Mac Geekab uh, enhanced uh, items. Also, uh, if they're enhanced by your uh, buddy, they he includes chapters, but there are times when, for whatever reason, you don't use the enhanced and you bring out a podcast which doesn't have chapters. So I end up having to go to show notes instead. Anyway, thank you very much. Enjoy your show a lot. Bye. All right, Mark. Uh, you're right. 
MacObserver.com slash podcast is kind of the, the front door to uh, all the Mac Geek Gab stuff. You can also get there at MacGeekGab.com. Uh, that will that will redirect you to MacObserver.com slash podcast. Uh, as far as the chapters in the shows, most of the shows are converted to AAC. There are some instances where either Michael's schedule just doesn't permit him to do it in a timely fashion because we like to get the show out. Most of you have subscribed to the AAC feed, so we don't like to have the show get, you know, a week old before it's even in the feed for you. Uh, and, and, you know, oftentimes that's trade shows and things like that where there's just not enough time and we want to get the data out as quickly as possible or the show out as quickly as possible. So that's why you'll see that sometime. One other thing uh, that Mort didn't mention, but a couple of you have asked for is, is there a way to search just the Mac Geek Gab uh, show notes so that I can find a show that talks about X, Y, or Z? And the answer is yes. Uh, we have. There is? Well, almost. I started working on it today. I think I'm going to have Stephen help me finish it tomorrow. But, uh, you know, we use Google site search at, at the Mac Observer. And, and so we're creating a, a custom site search just for the Mac Geek Gab show notes. And, uh, and so that should be a, a pretty cool thing. Right. I think nice. it's cool. Yeah. Hey, uh, you know, I want to I want to play these next two comments because they address something from two shows ago. But uh, while we're here, you know, we've got all these people that have written in and called in and stuff, and they obviously know how to to, to get to find us. But perhaps the uh, some of the current listeners don't, John. So how, how would someone call into the show? <laughs> Uh, well, you get a phone and you dial 206-666-GEEK, which is 4335. But that's not it. You can also email us at, uh, uh, you feedback at macgeekgab.com is the best place to do it. Oh, and then Skype, which macgeekgab. There's and been it, some it weirdness should, with that. It should work. Uh, some of you are able to see that user on Skype and go ahead and, and, and leave messages for it. Others, maybe not so much. Mm. So, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. Or, yeah, all, you know, audio attachment is great. We uh, yep. get them in various formats and we can read just about all of them. Yeah, we haven't had one yet that uh, that threw us for a loop. Some are, of course, much easier than others. MP3 and, and or AAC are good. Uh, because they're tidy and clear and common. All right. Uh, I'm not going to give this any setup. I'm going to play one comment and then I'm going to play another and then we'll, and then we'll talk here. Hey, Dave. Hey, John. Slough calling. Long time listener, occasional caller, um, and thoroughly satisfied listener. You know, I I think that that guy, I uh, can't remember his name. I think he said thoroughly, not fairly satisfied listener. I, you might want to go back and listen because, um, I don't know, I heard thoroughly. And that would be a, a big difference, of course. Keep up the great work. Love the show. Talk to you soon. Bye. Hey, guys. This is Dan from Los Angeles. I am the... the Dan that called last week and apparently insulted your podcast. I, I apologize profusely about that. However, I believe it was just a, uh, a very slight mistake or misunderstanding. I did not say that I was a, a fairly satisfied customer. I said I was a thoroughly satisfied customer, and I can understand how that might sound similar. Uh, but I, after your chat, I was completely convinced that I had said fairly, but when I went back and listened to it about eight times, I definitely heard thoroughly, but I think maybe if you have the word thoroughly in your head, it really sounds like thoroughly, and I'm sure you can understand what I mean when I say that. So anyway, just wanted to clarify that I wouldn't have been catching up on old episodes. I wouldn't have kept you in my uh, relatively brief amount of podcasts that I listen to regularly and look forward to, and I wouldn't have said Great job. Keep up the great work. If I thought I was a fairly satisfied customer, you're right. I would have. So uh, with that, take care. Uh, you can cut me off now. All right. Thanks, Dan. And thanks, Slough. Uh, yeah, absolutely right. right. I, You know, obviously we didn't go back and play it in the midst of the show. And, uh, and, and, and there you have it. And no, even if you had said fairly satisfied, it didn't really uh, offend me. I just, I, I thought it was actually, I thought it was kind of funny. But Oh, me uh, too. Yeah. All right, so I should call up the uh, TMO goon squad and tell them not to. Uh, yeah, not, yeah, whatever you were going to do for Dan. That's right. Oh, jeez, poor guy. Uh, <laughs> we don't have a goon squad. 
Oh, you don't? Or a brute squad, whatever. Whatever it is, yeah. All right, so you, uh, uh, we do have the roving reporting squad, which uh, these days includes you on the East Coast and Jeff Gamut flying all over the place. Uh, oh, yeah. West of the, the, the Mississippi there. But yeah, on, on Wednesday, which was a fantastic day, uh, uh, we had you in, in New York somewhere at the Showstoppers event, right? Yes, so uh, Showstoppers, I'm going to bring up and just talk about some of the things in there. It's very interesting. This is another kind of focus the media event. It's a, it's a little smaller than the one I was uh, was to before that. Um, but actually, the people that run it said they're going to run a version of it, um, I believe, during Macworld, which is interesting. Huh. Um, but then again, you think about it, Macworld does have already events that are usually press-oriented and sometimes have a collection of companies. So so I guess it's not that weird, and I guess that's what these guys do. So so I guess we'll see them in uh, San Francisco. But um, a few things that caught my eye. Um, and unfortunately, you know, the thing that warms my heart is when somebody has something platform or that could be locked into a platform. Um, it's not. Uh, hardly anybody except one company that made disk utilities that only repaired Windows disk. Everybody said, oh, sure, we have a Mac version. Um, or it's just something that's neutral by definition. So the first thing I saw, um, which I thought was a great idea and a terrible idea, so uh, AutoNet Mobile, it is a 2.5 or 3G mobile network to Wi-Fi converter. Okay, because I was looking at it, I'm like, because well, their their deal is we give you Wi-Fi in your car. Now, now why I say it's a terrible idea is I think for the driver, that's a horrible idea. Drivers have enough problems based on what I see every day uh, of just keeping their cars on the road. So having a, yet another channel for distraction is terrible, but... And they showed the pictures, and I could totally agree, Like especially for you, Dave. You got the kids. They want to surf. They want to run their gizmos or gadgets, and you approve of such a thing. Yeah. Um, and, and so it's $4.99, um, and they already have deals with some car companies where you can get, you, you can get it bolted into the SUV or the minivan. Um, $4.99 for the unit. It does 802.11 A, B, and G. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, not in yet. Uh, and 29 bucks a month subscription fee are the numbers that, that I was provided with, so... Wow, that's actually it's actually not cool. bad for a data plan for just a data plan. I now, mean, what so what network does it connect to? Do you know? Is it Sprint? Well, that's why I got to get. I think it okay. may they may contract on a regional basis. I, I don't okay. know, okay. But, um, but okay. they they assured me wherever you can get EVDO and stuff like that. So I'm okay. They probably have details, but but I'm just giving you Could the be, quick uh, yeah snapshot here. So that's kind of neat. Um, another thing, and I think this may take hold eventually. Um, there is a RFID technology, RFID using radio waves and little tags, and, and they're already used in a lot of places. Um, uh, ID badges are probably the most typical thing. A lot of cars now have RFID keys or dongles or whatever you want to call them. Um, these guys make a kit where it has two components. One is a reader, and the other is a small tag. It has a unique ID. And what you can do is associate the tag, and, and it's just a USB reader. I actually got a little sample kit. And what you can do is, and it's called NFC, Near Field Communications, because it only goes about a wavelength, which effectively means, you know, a couple of inches for this frequency. Um, you hold, you can program the tag to go to, to perform an action, like go to a website, play a song, play a movie, um, a, 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 and a few other things. But, but that gives you a flavor of it. So I could see the potential of this being interesting. The the other technology that uses it right now is Nokia has some of their phones, or I think one at least. And and my understanding is in other countries, this has caught on a bit more, especially where they have payment infrastructure. So you could think, oh, you got your phone, it can pay for stuff. You put it up to this tag, right. you know, do something else, um, perhaps. And then you've bought something or ordered something or, or whatever. Um, just, you know, being able to bring someone to a website when they hold their phone nearby, I think is kind of cool. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Huh. So, um, and I imagine they could build this, you know, into, so it was a small USB reader, but I've seen it, you know, built into phones or it's, you know, a little add on module for a phone. So, um, uh, I guess the only problem is that it needs to get, um, you know, ubiquity. Um, yeah, some of the other apps here are make, you can make a Skype call, um, a social business card. So, oh, and, yeah. and their kit right now, it's 50 bucks for the reader and 10 tags. So I'll link to that, but it could be cool if a lot of people start using it all of a sudden. Right, right. Yeah, it would have to get critical mass before it 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 really is is valuable. Sure, sure. Yeah. So you know, best of luck to them. It uh, if you bridge the gap between computers and phones, I think it may have more success because you know things like barcodes can already do this, but it's just they're it, yeah. I mean, how many devices do you have that read barcodes? Probably not a lot. So, yeah, um, and yeah. then the last thing, not not enough, certainly. Yeah. <laughs> and then I think it's Slodge Link or Slage Link. So so it's a company. 
um, that I guess is already known, uh, or it's an Ingersoll, Ingersoll They make locks, company. right, for your house? Yes, so they okay. introduce a lock here, which uh, is a wireless uh, keypad lock that also has a traditional lock. And they also have light modules. So if you remember back to the X10 days here. Yeah. Um, and they have an intro kit. Now, it, it's kind of a web-based app, but but uh, I believe they're showing up both a Mac and a PC. Um, so the cool thing, and, and it, in, it incorporates something called Z-Wave, which looks to me to be a, a, an attempt by the industry to introduce a standard for wireless control of, um, I don't know any of the frequency details or anything right now, but the intro kit with a lock, what they call a bridge, which is, I guess, the Z-Wave transmitter receiver. And then a lighting module, I believe, will be about one ninety nine, and then additional locks could be, you know, one forty nine or so, uh, coming out around November. But they showed me some of the features. So I guess what you can do is once you connect remotely to the computer with the base station or connect to it directly, uh, you can change the code on the lock. You can, and this is the cool part. So you and I would have hated this as kids. At least I think you would have. I certainly would have. It can record the times when people come in and out. (laughs) (laughs) All right, mister, you came in at four in the morning. You're in big trouble. Or we just have to learn how to climb in and out of the window better. Or or learn how to (laughs) hack the lock. Yes. I mean, that, let's let's face it. If when you and I were kids, would we have learned how to climb in the window or would we have just hacked the lock? We would have set up the lock ourselves. We would have been the ones that, that were setting it up. So we'd, we'd put in sure, an admin code. Sure. I'll set it up. Yeah, let, you know what? Let me do that for you. Don't you worry yourself with that. Enjoy the uh, enjoy the race. You, you sit and watch yep. that. That's right. So great show. Um, and, you know, the more we go to it, and I guess Jeff is going to talk about his experience. He's already written about a few things. I tend yeah. to just like babble them out. Yeah. Um, cool. Yeah. Good stuff. So maybe we'll do, you know, yeah, I don't think they really had a lot of, well, there were companies. Yeah, maybe I'll link that they had ones that were doing LCD accessories, including, um, uh, yeah, I don't have their name off the top of my head, but they had an ornament with a built-in, you know, LCD, kind of mini LCD projector deal. Oh, cool. Kind of cool. That's cute. Yeah. Yeah, I'll have to find that. I'll link to those guys, but it's, uh, I may actually get one for the, the family. All right. Well, you mentioned Macworld Expo, John. Macworld is January fifth oh, yeah. through 9th. and uh, I, I I am happy to announce two things. One, uh, I, and I think I've said this before, that Thursday morning at eleven, I'm doing my running your Mac lean, clean, and mean session. Uh, number two is that John and I will be on the podcast stage somewhere, wherever that podcast stage happens to be at Macworld Expo, and I think. We've got a slot for Tuesday afternoon, uh, right after the, the keynote. So we'll uh, we'll be doing at least one live podcast from the show floor, and potentially even two. So cool! Be, yeah. yeah, yeah. I know we did that once before. That right, was a lot exactly. of fun. Yeah, yeah. We so did. It's kind of unpredictable because it's live, but then that's part of the fun. That's part of the fun. Yeah, that's right. If you call that fun. <laughs> yeah, it is fun, and and you know the trick with that is recording it and hoping, praying that the uh, recording goes well, and we did last time. So. Uh, so, yeah, so that's that. There are still a few rooms available. They keep uh, in- expanding our block as you folks fill it up. Uh, so if you go to uh, we'll put the link in the show notes because you got to you got to use the right link. Otherwise, you're it's not going to work. So Michael Johnston, of course, from iPhone Alley and the iPhone Alley podcast at iPhone creates the AAC feed for all of you. And Cashfly provides the bandwidth to get it from us to you. So, uh Check those folks out. Of course, the podcast marketplace has got those A2 desktop speakers from Audio Engine, BB Edit version 9, from Barebones Software, Smile on My Mac's got the new PDF Pen 4, and Notebook 3.0 from Circus Ponies. All through the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. And uh, those guys are rocking mm-hmm. at the Backbeat Media Podcast Network. Our, our sales team in Austin is actually having a big powwow this week and. Uh, from what I hear, things are going very well. So, yeah, aren't they drinking a uh, fancy coffee or something? Coffee is for closers. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I hear. Yeah. So, so I'm looking forward to our coffee bills going up next month, and that's all I'm going to say. Excellent. We can get out of here, right? We're good. I think it's I think it's time. 